Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this text we have. I thank you for this group. What a great group and just you know sharing things and being able to um, just share memories tonight and be, just to be able to come together and study your word together. It is just a real blessing. And God, I'm just so glad we have some new faces here tonight. We're thankful for those who are listening on podcast land as well. And we just, we're just honored, Lord, to be able to study your word. It's really cool, Lord, when a really, really, really ancient word, an ancient scripture applies to our life now. And it's really cool. And that's really, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And God, we're going to learn the reason in our, at the end of our lesson tonight why that is the case. And I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Once again, Hebrews 4. And you'll notice um, there is a line from a praise song that comes from this very first verse tonight. So we are in the promise, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we're in Hebrews 4 now. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, your promise still stands. Great is your faithful. You know that praise song? Your promise still stands. Where the heck does that come from? Well, it's right here. The promise of entering the rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have have, have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Oh, my goodness. Another history lesson. Well, it still stands. What the heck does that mean? The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, what they had back in the time of Moses, they had something on the books with regards to them and God. And they didn't take advantage of that. In fact, they disobeyed. And we're going to read how God responded. We learned last week what God said, and he's going to repeat that text again today. It's like they had access to this promise of God. You know, we sing the standing on the promises of God, all those great hymns. Like, it's like we hang on to God's promises. Here we are, here we are, here we are. They had a promise of God, and they didn't take advantage of it. They didn't respond to it. That promise still stands. The author of Hebrews is saying um, they had the good news proclaimed to them. You know what that means in the Greek? They were evangelized. Good news is euangelia. It's like evangelism. They were evangelized. Who were they evangelized by? They had the five books of Moses. They had the good news, Moses style, that God is God, that in their darkest hour, only God can save. And only God can deliver them from their enemy. And they saw it practically played out as God delivered them from Egypt, their greatest enemy at the time. And he did so by a substitute, a lamb dying in a place. The whole Passover story, that's gospel 101. They had the gospel. They were ready for what we know in the New Testament. They had that, and they did not respond. The author of Hebrews is saying, hello, McFly, we have it too. Now, he's speaking in the first century. I'm speaking right now in the 21st but it still preaches. He's saying it back then, hey, they had it, 
and they flubbed it up. We have it. Now, we can't mess it up. We can't make their mistake. We have to be different. So be careful. His promise still stands to be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Wow. It's like our response to God's word matters. Now, you may say, well, that's kind of a silly question. Of course it matters. But was it a silly question when they were wandering in the wilderness? Did God cease to be God because they had to wander for 40 years? When they forgot, when they didn't, didn't trust God, when, when they came to Canaan and um, they spied out the land and they got afraid and they just didn't want to do anymore. And when they wanted to go back to Egypt because life got hard. You know, sometimes when life gets really hard, we ball up a fist at God and say, what are you doing? Don't you know I'm here? Don't you know I'm me? Don't you know that I'm your kid? What are you doing to me? I mean, come on, God, I mean, are you still God? And if you are, are you still good? How tough do you think I am, God? See, when life gets hard, I'll use my fingers. It, it can either drag us away or bring us closer. And we've had a number of you in the class tonight who've lost a loved one this year. Some of us have lost a loved one recently. And a couple of us have lost a loved one within the last week. You're either here or here. You're either being drug away from God, and this is like the thing to get you bitter at, or this is a moment where you're coming close to God. Say, God, you're all I have. And if I, if I don't hold on to you right now, I'm not going to hold on to anything. You see, the author of Hebrews is right there. He's like, you've got this promise still on the books. So what is your deal? What's our deal? He's speaking to his audience, too. Daniel texts in, God using Moses and the 10 plagues is a precursor to what Jesus would ultimately accomplish. Amen. It is the darkest hour. Uh, God often works his most spectacular miracles. Amen. Amen. You, 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 you appreciate the light more when you're in a dark room. And you're like, wow, look at that. And the light always wins. Darkness isn't, doesn't beat it. As long as there are batteries in that flashlight, the flashlight's going to win. The darkness is just going to swallow it up. Well, it still stands. Be careful. What about faith? Verse 2. For we also have the same good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. It's like we're being evangelized too. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. It's like the whole wilderness wandering people, that whole generation that died in the sand without making it to the promised land, they didn't have the faith that the others did. The ones that got to go on, the ones that got to later enter the promised land, the ones who responded by faith. You see, how we respond, it's like God pays attention. From a theological standpoint, God's leading you to that and through that. But it's still, we have a, we, we respond. Make text in faith is evidenced by obedience. Very reminiscent of James 2.19, faith without actions is dead. Faith is synonymous with obedience. Good connection there. So what are the, what's the value of messages in our faith? Your faith, scripture says that faith comes by hearing. Your, your faith is, let's just be blunt. 
the kind of things you take in information wise, the kind of messages, the kind of, if you, if you have a steady diet of God's word, if you're, if you're having a disciplined life of where you are controlling what is going into you, whether it's, you know, intellectually or otherwise, it's not just, you know, your, your physical diet, but what about your spiritual diet? It's like you, you have, you have your feet, your, 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 and our culture is constantly feeding us messages. Our culture is constantly. And the number one message is you've got to do this on your own is that life is all about you. I know, I know, I know you're a family person, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, it's all about you. And self-dependence is one of the greatest things our, our culture teaches, great as in important. Our culture, our world essentially boils down to, if there's something my, uh, oh, my, my, one of my childhood uh, principals came in, Mr. Fancher, big scary guy. We, we all were terrified of, he comes into the class he holds up two hands. He said, I got 10 words for you. Learn this and your life will go better. If it is to be, it is up to me. And that was his version of a mic drop. Now that's horrible theology. Absolutely horrible. There are things you have control over, but most of life you don't have control over. Theologically speaking, if it is to be, then it's, it's all in God's hands because God's the one driving this train, not me. If I'm driving the train, if you're driving the train, that's not a train you want to be on because you're not God. Uh, Mick, Mick corrects his citation as James 2.26. All right, there you go. Well done. Uh, all right, all right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so... There's a value of messages in your faith. Be, pay attention to the stuff you feed yourself with. I'm not talking about organic or inorganic or, or you know, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about how the, your input with regards to your spiritual life. So, for example, if you don't listen to this Joel, you instead go to another Joel, let's say like an Osteen. If you're constantly receiving the healthy, wealthy kind of stuff, if you're constantly getting the live your best life now kind of stuff, if your theology comes from the, 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 the magazine section of your supermarket, and that's all you get, I'm not going to question your faith. I'm just going to, I'm just going to wonder about what, 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 it's like, what messes are you taking in and then how are you now living? You might start to look at God and say, well, gosh, God, I'm not healthy. And I'm not wealthy. Maybe I'm wrong or maybe you're wrong or something. See, that, that, that's, a, that's a, an extreme silly example. Well, we're in your class, Joel. What do you expect? Well, good. This is good. But just remember, I could be serving you a glorious steak dinner right now. But if this is all you're eating in a week, that's not good for you. You've got to have nourishment throughout the week. You have to be constantly being fed by God's word. I, I, I'm learning to start every day with, with, with God's word. And I, I, I have a, on Facebook, I just write a devotion every morning. And yes, it's blessing some people, I'm sure. But you know what? It's, it, it's, it's discipline for me. That's what it needs to be. I know I need to wake up. I give myself that first cup of coffee. And that's my Jesus time. That's just regardless of whatever else is going on in my life, that's that. I need that nourishment of my day. Because if I don't have that, what's my problem? <laughs> Sandy takes in. Uh, oh, Randy first. Uh, 
Even secular philosophers like John Lennon knew that life is what happens when you're making other plans. All right. If it is to be, it's all in God's hands. There you go. Ten words trumped by Mr. Fancher's ten words. There you go. Thanks, Andy. Uh, Daniel, walk with the wise. You too shall become wise. Meander with fools. You run the risk of becoming foolish. There you go. There's a value of messages in your faith. Your, your faith is not defined by those messages, but those messages play into your, so whatever narrative you're in, you're living your life by, that's going to impact you. It's, just, it's impossible to be otherwise because we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of narrative. When someone says, so, it's like we, we read the reviews before we, we, we purchase the item kind of thing. So we, we want to know what the story is. And once we get the story, ah, now I've got my story. And then we go and you tell that story. Uh, that's the promise, the response, three to seven. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath of my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So he's saying you know, three or four different things here about rest. Number one, rest can be presently experienced. So 3a, now we who have believed enter that rest. So if we have belief in God, if we have something as part of our story, that the crew in Moses' day did not have, then we're in a better spot. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling his crew, and that's what I'm telling my crew. No, I'm not the equal to the author of Hebrews. I'm just playing with the metaphor there. It's like, that's, it's like if there's something about your response, there's something about your faith that deals with God's rest. They didn't do something in that first generation. God got angry with them. And I think it was something deeper than they just didn't do something. I think it was a heart that grumbled. It was a heart that was actually hard. There was something about them that was the same as Pharaoh, that they just got, got done being with, a hardened heart. They were that way towards God. What had God just done for them? They just crossed a sea. I don't care if it was the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. It doesn't matter. They crossed it. What more does God have to do for you to trust him? You know, their first opportunity, they got hardened. What in the world is their issue? Well, what's yours? What's mine? That rest can be experienced right now. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's one of our students in our class tonight. Remember our three metaphorical students? We're going to get there at the next blue line there. We've got the yeah, but, we've got the weary, and we've got the clay. Well, come to me, weary. See, that's why there's always hope for the weary, because of what Jesus says. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you what? Rest. Oh, you mean Jesus knew about this stuff that the author of Hebrews is talking about? Yeah. Come to me, I will give you rest. And then he gets all rabbinical. He uses rabbi words here. Okay, it's like he's talking about oxen and he's using, you know, words that a farmer would understand, but take my yoke upon you. He's what he's saying is take my teachings upon you. How do I know that? Because his next words and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Ah. That tells us all we need to know about that rest. I'm, I'm supposed to rest, God. I'm not supposed to do anything, God. False. You can have rest even amongst the hustle and bustle. This is rest for your soul. This is an inside kind of rest. This is applying Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. Even if you're not still, you're able to be still on the inside. Ah, that changes things up a bit, doesn't it? Yes. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That again goes to teaching. See, remember he went at the Pharisees one time and said, you, you, you put burdens on them that you, you yourselves don't do. What's your problem, Pharisees, you hypocrites? He's saying, no, 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 no. Come to me. My burden is easy. It's very straightforward and it's very light. My burden is not going to make life worse for you. It's going to make life better for you. We got to remember this. We're talking about the Sabbath, the original Sabbath, the day seven of God Sabbath, where God rested. And so by the time we get to the first century, it'll become a Pharisee thing where we have to throw 700 rules at it. And it becomes a matter of law breaking versus rest. It wasn't about rest anymore. It was about hiding and trying to figure out what life is all about. It was more burdensome than the day itself. I got to keep all these regulations or I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be able to have my godly rest. You're too busy keeping regulations. You're not resting, sucker. What's your problem? Jesus is saying, I bring rest. You know what God did in Genesis 2? Metaphorically, because God's not a human in Genesis 2. He's still Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he had not yet taken flesh, John 1. Rest can be presently experienced. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're expected to rest in him. That's an expectation. If you're not, what the heck are you all about? You're missing the point. Number two, the threat still stands. Uh-oh, not a threat. No, 3B here. Oh, yes. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my arrest. Okay. That's still, if the promise still stands, the threat still stands, we can reject God and then that, that threat could come upon us now. It's like the promise still stands, the threat still stands. And uh, yeah, let's see. Mick text in verse three is a reassurance to the obedient that, that is those who genuinely, genuinely live by faith. Amen. Daniel, we have Jesus. Oh, they didn't yet. All they had was God's promise. Okay. Apparently that wasn't enough for them though. Correct. The Pharisees were so focused on the letter of the law that in the loopholes, which they could exploit, Jesus saw right through them. That's right. And if you're so focused on the law that you neglect the giver of that law, um, you're missing the point. And uh, by the same token, Mick says the disobedient won't partake and never will unless they believe that's evidenced in, in, in obedience. Yeah. Either God has your heart or he doesn't. And 
there's no both and when it comes to God, there's either or. And if that hurts your feelings, I'm, I'm sorry. And it's just, if we can't have a smorgasbord approach to God. I'll try this over here. You know, I'm not ready for that today, but tomorrow I'll come back and get that one over there. And you know, no, 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 no. God either has your heart or he doesn't have your heart. You're either following as, you're either denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus, or you are not denying yourself. And then there's not, there's, there doesn't need to be anything else after that. If you're more about self-love than self-denial, you've missed the point. If you're more about self-love or self, what's another way to say self-love? Self-affirmation. If you're more about that than denying yourself, you don't know Jesus the way you thought you know Jesus. Self-denial, self-controlling. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit, not self-love. Love is fruit of the spirit, but it's love for God and love for others, not you. It's assumed you're going to love you. That's like, that's like sin 101. You have a master's degree in love of yourself. Can you deny yourself? That's why Christianity is different. When you're denying yourself, your heart doesn't get hard when it comes to God. The threat still stands available since creation, yes. Uh, and yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere God has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Aha! God doesn't work. That's done. God is not working. God rested. And that is now on the books. I got it. Now God is, now the deist argument is valid. What is the deist argument? The deist said that God created everything. He wound the watch and then he put the watch in a drawer and shut the drawer and walked the heck away. That God has nothing to do with anything else. So Genesis 2, is it Genesis 2, 2, that God rested on the seventh day and that's it. See, as theists, we believe God to be personal and active, not inactive and impersonal. Well, God rested. We just, we just, the, the word of God just said he rested. What is your deal? And that's the point. Can God be at rest and still be at work? Well, Joel, you're not making any sense. We'll take Jesus' words, John 6. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Well, that was nice, Joel. Hello, I read the verse about the Sabbath. They're persecuting him because they're working on the Sabbath. Isn't Sabbath the day of no work? Isn't Sabbath the day where I can't believe you're letting them pick the grain in the fields? It's a Sabbath day. What kind of teacher are you? Your, 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 your crew is doing all this. God is in a state of rest, but God is always at work. That Sabbath rest, that the God had finished the days of creation, how he rested. So you're telling me, Joel, that even though I have to keep working in this life, even though I have to deal with life, I have to live life, I still can do so with rest? That metaphor still applies to me? Yes, 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 yes. And we're going to get there in our text today. This very promise, this, this, is, this is why God can damn and con or condemn, if you don't want that word damn, I'm using it in a judgment sense, that God can condemn that Moses generation. 
They had this promise. It's Genesis 2. So do we. And they didn't enter. There's something they didn't do. And there's something they did do. They were disqualified. Daniel texts in, if you say I'll do it tomorrow, you may never see tomorrow. It may be too late. I mean, it's a fair comment because the, in the text here, it talks about today. Is it today? It sure is. All right, get to work. We have a response to make. There's things that must happen because it is today. Not tomorrow. Not yesterday. Today. So, okay, it's a fair point. And let's see. The Sabbath is all about God focusing on him and enjoying him. Thanks, Mick. That's why the Sabbath rest is so important because it's all about enjoying and celebrating God. Amen. Amen. So rest can be presently experienced. The threat still stands. It's available since creation and, and, and the not hard, that should be the hard, not heard, the not hard heart, five to seven. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains, still remains for some to enter that rest. Thank God, by the way, because that means you and I can, because it still remains for some. Whew. Thank you. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Now, that's something where Pharaoh has something on them, because at least in Pharaoh's case, if you read Exodus at face value, there was a time where he was hardening his heart, and there was a time when God hardened his heart that Pharaoh was not going to make any other choice than the one he did. Now, you could argue that God's hardening was a, was, was a product of his hardening or, or vice versa. It doesn't matter, but that's the same language here. Their hearts were hard. At the end of the day, don't be like them. The not hard heart. Well, what are the three students in their hearts? The first student is yeah, but. And yeah, but doesn't really care. Yeah, but is the kind of person that says, you know, well, do you love Jesus? Well, yeah, but is your heart hard? Yeah, but I mean, come on. I mean, I'm here in this class, aren't I? I mean, I listen to your podcast, pal. I mean, are, are you are you serious? I go to church, you know, I'm doing my thing. Yeah, but are you changing? Are things actually different about you? Come on. You see, there's always an excuse. There's always a rationalization. There's always, I'm going to jump off this hook. There's always, I'm just, the, the yeah, but always has an excuse. And so nothing ever gets done. Nothing ever changes because that comma, but always ends the conversation or he just skittles off and goes that way. The weary, so the, the yeah, but's hard, heart is hard. He'll deny it. He'll vehemently deny it. And at some point he probably won't even care anymore. He's like, yeah, whatever. You know what? See if I come back to your class or see if I, you know, see if I open you up again, Bible. I mean, come on. I gave you a shot. Now you're telling me I'm a jerk. It's just like the, the reformed theology style Santa. It's like you're all, you've all been naughty. It's like there is no nice list. We are all on the naughty list. It's like we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's like, that's it. If you read the Bible and feel better about yourself, let's find some different passages. It's, it's, it's God letting us know that there's hope and salvation is free and is for you. But if you read, especially if you read the Ten Commandments, they go, yes, got it. You know, 
keeping it 100 god yeah no you're not the ten commandments reveal that you're lost and that you need help and you are condemned and you're screwed and you need a savior if the ten commandments have done anything else to you you're 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 you got other issues. Mm. All right. Let's see. Big text. And we talked about today in one of the previous lessons we have today here in this text, looking ahead to chapter five, there's yet another today. Spoiler alert. You think Hebrews author is trying to tell us something? Yep. Today's a response kind of day. And Daniel texts in the yeah, but says I'll improve my life tomorrow. It's, it's, it's the proverbial Wellington J. Wimpy. I'll pay you next Tuesday for that burger. Just give me it today. Otherwise, is tomorrow maybe the final day on earth? Yeah, it's just the yeah, but will just wants to improve tomorrow. The, the yeah, but has an excuse. Nothing ever gets done. The weary has excuses as well, but the weary will still, the, the weary will still change but the weary doesn't really want to change. The weary is tired of changing. The weary just wants God to solve everything. The weary wants to avoid things. The yeah, but doesn't avoid. The yeah, but is, is actually an enemy of God at some point. But yeah, heck with you, God. The weary is not an enemy of God, but the weary doesn't really want to change because the change is hard. And change means hard conversations. And change means actually have to deal with stuff and being confronted on stuff. The weary is going to read the last verses of our text today and go, gosh, Oh, I don't want that. I, I, I don't know if I can handle that. And it's just too much for me right now. The clay says, bring it on. I've got a lot of work to do, God. I'm ready. Let's go. It's go time. God, mold me, have at me. Whatever needs to change, I'm tired of me. I'm more than tired of me. Enough of me. I want you. And that means things have to change. And I, I actually got to change. And it's it, the, the, the clay is like in a perpetual state of a wake-up call. Like, yep. Okay, let's go. And I messed up. God, forgive me. I, I, I'm sorry, God. Let's start over. Let's go. Again, I'm ready. And maybe that's where you're at. And you're constantly having to, you know, like, oh, gosh, I messed up again. But I want to change. I actually do want to change. I want to do the hard work. Well, good. Good. That's a good spot to be Whether they're like, okay, God, you know, heck with you. Or I just, I'm tired of this, God. Maybe I'll just give up. Or maybe I'll just, you know, wait for something else to happen. No. The yeah, but's hard is hard. The, 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 the weary's heart is, I don't know what to call it. And the clay's heart is not hard. The, the, the weary's right in the middle. The, the weary is almost that Moses generation, but not quite. In fact, that's, that's the Hebrew generation. The threat of being the Moses generation, but maybe not quite. But what's you? What's your response? Sandy texts in that we can, we can only experience God's rest when we acknowledge that he is God and that we are not. Amen. In admitting our need, we soften our hearts. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not wrong. That's a good point. Next is Joshua. Joshua, I better not say that too loud. My Joshua may come running down. At a moment's notice, he wants to jump in on here, but he's not here yet. So Joshua, yeah, 4, 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. What? There remains yet a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Despite Joshua, it still remains. What do you mean Joshua gave them rest? Well, you remember, Moses died. He did not get to go to the promised land in that generation. Died, buried, and his lieutenant, Joshua, 
took over. And he led the people to the promised land. That was their rest. The ones who still had the faith, that next generation that got to go, the ones who entered with full of promise, and they got to experience some of that rest, didn't they? Well, if they had, the text says, God would not have spoken later about another day. Like later as in what he just quoted about when he said to David, don't harden your hearts today. Hello. So David is later than Joshua. So if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is still, again, on the books. This preaches to us. We didn't have Joshua. But this is where a Greek reader of the text would get it, where an Aramaic reader or a Hebrew reader, or someone who would, got, would get the Joshua, the Yeshua, Yehoshua, they would get that as Jesus. Jesus, his name is Joshua. My wife and I, we wanted to honor our Savior. When we, named, when we got to bring home a son, we named him the closest thing we could to Jesus because we're not Hispanic. So we don't really have the Jesus thing going on there. The closest way we can honor God, Jesus, is by using Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, Joshua. There are two main Joshua's in the Bible. One with the conquest of Canaan. I know there's another. He's a high priest later on. And Jesus, who leads the promised people to their promised land, truly. But unlike with Joshua, where his rest wasn't complete, in fact, they're still in unrest. It's such a thing that the, the, the President Trump might get a peace prize because of what he was accomplished with a couple countries in Israel there. That's how much unrest is going on. And then and still in that area, they're not in the rest that Joshua could have led them into. But our Joshua, our Jesus, yes. That's what's on the books. To verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. But Joel, you just said God doesn't really rest from his work. Jesus just said that the Father is always at work, and so am I. That's right. That's right. We still have to work, but can we still have rest? Yes. Yes. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He uses like a, um, a, a farming word where the farmer has to constantly cultivate the soil and tend the weeds because he wants to eat that year. So he has to constantly work and work. There's something about our salvation with the fear and trembling. Like, I, I'm hoping this crop comes in. It's like there's something about an activeness to our salvation that we have to constantly, we have to stay at it. We have to be a part of it. We have to keep working. But if the verse stopped there, that'd be kind of, you know, mechanistic. They'd be kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to do my part. I, I'm securing my salvation. Yay, it's all about me. No. I, I skipped the Colossians. We'll get there in a second. 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purposes. God's at work. He expects you to work, but your work doesn't solve anything. God's work does. Your work participates in it. God expects your faithfulness, but your faithfulness doesn't secure your salvation. God's doing all the heavy lifting, but he still expects you to be faithful. We can't miss that Colossians reference that how does God expect the Sabbath to be kept? What about my Sabbath? The Sabbath is, no, is I'm supposed to rest from my regular work. We talking about still working. Well, here's what, what Paul says in Colossians 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or even a Sabbath day. So someone is looking at you and going, oh, you don't keep the Sabbath. Ah, you're, you're not much of a Christian. No, don't let anyone judge you for that. But why? Because Paul says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. God rested in Genesis 2. That Sabbath is on the books. Keep the Sabbath holy. It's a Ten Commandment. We have to follow the Sabbath. But we can't miss what's going on behind that. Rest. Rest. And we can't take it completely literally as, as, as some might want to do because it's, it's, it's just a shadow. There's something deeper and more profound about that that we must understand. Jesus got the same idea in the Gospels. Well, I'd never commit adultery. Yeah, but you, you lust after somebody. Well, I'd never murder, but yeah, you hate someone. You, you can't skip on the letter of the law and totally miss the spirit of the law. If you keep it on the outside, but your heart is wretched, you're not keeping anything. Knock it off. Yeah. And so you're keeping the external Sabbath, but you're not experiencing rest. You're missing it. It's just a shadow at that point. You're missing what it's all about. You're, you're, just, you're, just, you're just missing. Despite Joshua, it still remains. The rest and the work. Yeah, God's at work and we're at work. But God's work is what secures it. Our work just participates. Mick said... Um, you said our work is to participate, be faithful, dependent, and responsive to him. That is the extent of our work. Like Israel, they had to walk and take the boundaries God laid out for them and, and, and take it, in which they did. And so make every effort, verse 11. Amen, mate. Uh, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Make every effort. Think about what you make every effort for. For some of you, you're fitness people and you litigiously watch every calorie and you, you litigiously mark down, like you live and die like I used to by my fitness pal and everything is just completely regulated and boom. You're living your life like every day, at the end of every week, there's gonna be a weigh in with a nutritionist or something like that. It's like you're very, what do you make every effort for? Some of you make every effort for, for pleasure. Some of you make every effort for comfort. Some of you make every effort for relationship. You make every effort for whatever. What is it you make every effort for? Think about that. I'm not saying that thing is an idol in your life, but it could be. You got to be careful about that. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Make text it in. The effort is to keep believing despite adversity. Yeah. The rest kind of life. 
if you're writing things down, will you write this acronym? R-E-S-T. I came up with an acronym. The R, release. If you're living the rest kind of life, you need to release things. There's things that you're holding on to that you have no business holding on to. Release. Now, theologically speaking, I don't want you to think about, okay, God, I'm holding on to this. And now that I let go of it, you finally can take it out of my hands. No, that, that's a really weak God. If God's waiting for you to loosen up your knuckles a bit so we can pry it out, he's not God. But from your standpoint, there's things you need to let go of. It's not letting go so God can finally have it or God can finally get to work. No, my sister, no, my brother, God is at work. But he's telling you right now, there's things you need to release. You need to be done with. You need to have that stop like white knuckling everything. There's parts of your life you're trying to control that you have no business controlling. Release. The first step of that rest is to release those things that you refuse to release. The E is enjoy. If you're not enjoying life, you're missing the point. Life is not about pleasure. But Jesus would not invite you into a relationship with him to make life intentionally hard for you. That's not much of a shepherd. The shepherd wants you to have the best life because it is his life that he's giving you. You listen to the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That sounds like a really good life. I want love, I want peace, I want kindness and faithfulness and gentleness. I, I want those things. That sounds like a really, really happy, good life where I can trust in my shepherd to provide for me. I can enjoy that kind of life. Yes, life is not about enjoyment as in I have to just, it's all about me, me, me. No, you're denying yourself. But can you find the ultimate enjoyment as you deny yourself? As an old rabbi might say, aha, that's the point. Can that be you? Enjoy life while you have it. Daniel texted in, however, be wary so that you don't get entangled in the pleasures of life. Yeah. Enjoying is good. Living for enjoyment, as in I'm going to, most of the time you're living to find that enjoyment outside of God. I mean, just be real about it. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to find my greatest joy in you, God. Watch me go. And then you go and you go do other things. Yeah, right. Um, Tandy texts in, it seems incongruous to make every effort to enter rest. The effort comes in letting go of our control and deny ourselves. I'm glad you picked that up. Make every effort to enter rest. I did a lot of shoveling this past week. Some of you did too. And I got to just tell you, that was heavy snow. And there was a lot of snow. And I knew I needed to shovel this. I needed to shovel that. There, there's, I, live on, I live on a corner lot. And so there were sidewalks that had happened. And then there eventually was a driveway. And as my back was hurting, as my legs were hurting, as my arms were hurting, after I swung that shovel probably for a thousandth time, one thought was on my mind, two thoughts. The first thought was, I can't wait for this to be done because I want to do a good job. But the second one, the one that dominated me from my thoughts were couch. Can't wait for couch and maybe 
a nice warm up drink like coffee. And I can't wait. That that rest was just like, I can't wait to finally get that rest. Even as I worked, that rest was always on my mind. I want to do a good job while I work, but I long for the rest. And eventually you start to find that rest in you as you work. Release, enjoy, the S is serve. That was me shoveling snow. It needed to be done. Service is obedience. It's worship. Your work is worship. The T is trust. Trust. How do you live a rest kind of life? Release the things that need to be released. Enjoy the life that God has given you with him. Serve him. See your life as service. And trust. Trust maintains that perspective. If you're doing those four things, you are living what appears to be an oxymoron kind of life. A rest that is really a life that keeps working but it's still resting. You're making every effort to do something that logically speaking requires no effort. Resting doesn't require much effort unless you're in pain or something and then it requires a lot of effort to breathe or whatnot. Yeah, and it's hard to get rest. God's word 12 to 13, for the word of God is alive and active. Whoa, I know this verse, hold on. I've heard pastors quote, I know this verse. Okay. So why is it coming here? It goes back to that whole self-dependent stuff. To pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go west, young man. You got to do this. And life is all about you. If it is to be, it is up to me. Remember that? That's the temptation to make life on your terms, to be the master of your own ship. The master of your domain. If we don't have verse 12, that's what seems to be on the table, isn't it? Yeah, 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 God, you're doing your thing. Yeah, but I still got to do a lot, don't I? Yeah, but there it is. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Don't read too deeply into that. Oh, there's a difference between soul and spirit. No, not really. I mean, there's a different Greek word, but the same idea. We're not Plato, where there's three parts of life. There's really just two. There's a physical and a non-physical. That's how you really can argue biblically. A, bar a bipartite existence versus a tripartite, if you want to get technical about it. But what he's saying here is that God's word gets down and say he didn't understand the atomic and the subatomic. He didn't get, you know, protons and electrons and neutrons and quarks. He didn't understand electron microscopes. This is the author of Hebrews, first century. He just says it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even a dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Oh, oh, don't go there. I like my secret places. I like those things that I can hold dear and I don't have to talk about or I don't, don't go there. Seriously, come on. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Mic drop. Oh no, he didn't. God's word, scripture gets to work. Scripture is always at work. It is always working on you. 
It is always working in you. That's why the Bible is the most important piece of work of all time. It's not just literature. It's not just something you can read. It reads you. The Bible works in you, through you. It never stops. That's why you can read the same verse every day for a month and get something different many days. And going, oh, I didn't see that before. You're right, you didn't. Because the Holy Spirit knocked you over the head with that one right there this time. And this one yesterday and this one tomorrow. Oh. Scripture gets to work. Nothing can hinder the work of, the, of, of Scripture. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. God's at work. His word is at work. The Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, is constantly alive and active. You read it, it reads you. A book that can change you in accounting before the judge. Ugh. I used to work at an auto parts factory. It, we, we made heating cores and it was like an assembly line kind of job. I was in surface treatment. What does that mean? Well, before the, the product gets sold in a store, it has to have a, a, its surface treated, you know, rust, whatever. It's like on my part of the assembly line, we would get the finished heater cores and we would take them. I took them, put them in like these baskets and press a button and the basket would go all the way through this big machine and eventually it would get dipped and some kind of a product that would seal it and treat the surface of it. And then we'd put them in boxes and we'd go. At the beginning of the day, the foreman, who I don't think did anything, he showed up and said, okay, surface treatment. You guys are running this one, this one, and this one, and this one. And you're at the end of the line. You're running the Subaru. You're running the Toyota. And you're running the Honda or whatever. It was the Japanese manufacturer. But, but you're running these. Okay, it was a you know, and so okay, you so at the end of the day, yes, sir, we're, we're gonna we're gonna box these, 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 and these. And at the end of the day, he wanted to see numbers. He wanted to see we, every box we did. We wrote this, we wrote this, and he just walk around the, the the shop, the big factory all day with the clipboard. And we were like, okay, he's coming, he's coming. We warned each other, but it, it didn't matter if we warned each other. It's like at the end of the day, we were gonna have to give an account for our numbers. How many subaru cores got shipped out how many toyotas how many hunts is that we had to write those down because then he gave an account to somebody else that's our life except our judge is not some you know guy that we th think that the ones who are doing the work is just kind of a worthless guy with a clipboard no our judge is god and one day you're gonna have to give an account so this very god who can't who sees everything in your life who sees your heart, who sees your motivations, who sees every part of you, who understands you more than you understand you. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't hide nothing. He sees everything. And he's expecting you to work, but also to rest. He's expecting you to live a life that gives him glory that releases what you need to release, that enjoys what you should enjoy, that serves where you should serve, and that, that trusts him completely. And then you enter eternity, giving an account. Your promised land. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
Daniel takes in nothing a secret from an omnipresent God. That's right. No secrets when it comes to God. Mick takes in Jesus himself dependent on scripture for sustenance. When he walked the earth as a human, the word sustains us, it feeds the spiritual and eternal life. God being good and holy cannot overlook sin. There was always, there will always be a reckoning. Yes. And Mick, you get the last word here. We are screwed if our account is it. But we thank God that Jesus paid, her, paid it all. He paid our account. Even on our worst reckoning with God, Jesus has taken those books for us. When the books are open, when the roll is called up yonder, even at our worst, we who belong to him, belong to him. That's why his verse about taking the yoke upon you is so great. He's like that one ox and you're like the other ox and you're the slow, worthless ox that has a hard time going down the field. But he says, I'm slow with you. I'm here. My burden is easy and we're going to walk into eternity together. You're not going to do this life by yourself. This life is hard. This life, it, it, it. but you know what? We can find rest even when we're weary. Even when we deny him and we, we mess up and we do, there is a hope because of Jesus. You could argue tonight's lesson could be called Jesus is greater than Joshua. We've already argued he's greater than the prophets. We've already argued he's greater than Moses. Joshua never really was in Jesus' lead. You could argue Moses was. From an Old Testament standpoint, he certainly was. From a whole Bible standpoint, of course not. But we had to learn last week that Moses, he's, he's superior to Moses. Today, you could argue he's superior to Joshua. Well, who's left? You've got to play with that rest acronym I just gave you. Are you entering his rest? Are you, are you resting even as you work? Is that you? That promise is still in the books. Are you entering into that rest? This has been Hebrews chapter four tonight. God bless.